are listening to First in Human, where we interview industry leaders and investors to learn about their journey to inhuman clinical trials. Presented by Vile, a tech-enabled CRO. Hosted by co-founder and CEO Simon Burns. With episodes launching weekly on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Featuring special guest host Todd Kays, VP of Dermatology. For episode 38, we sit down with Stephen Doyle, Chief Business Officer at Aslan Pharmaceuticals. Find out more about the challenges involved in developing innovative treatments and how Aslan is addressing those difficulties as they work to bring new therapies like their novel atopic dermatitis treatment to the market. Hi, I'm Todd Case, Vice President of Dermatology at BioHealth Technologies. I'm speaking today with Stephen Doyle, Chief Business Officer at Aslan Pharmaceuticals. Welcome, Stephen. Hi, thanks, Todd. Great to be here. Can you give us a little bit of an intro? Before we get into our specific questions here. Sure. So I'm, I'm based here in Singapore, uh, working for Aslan Pharmaceuticals. I'm the chief business officer. So responsibilities for licensing, both inward and outward. I also support our CEO on investor relations. I've been with Aslan approximately five years at Small Biotech. We're about 40 folks, both here in Singapore and in California in the U.S., and before joining Aslan, um, I spent about 20 years in the pharmaceutical industry, big pharma names such as uh, Novartis. I spent 11 years with Sanofi, Boehringer Ingelheim. I'm a pharmacist by background, spent a fair bit of time post-graduation in oncology, and that led me into the pharmaceutical industry. So I did a number of years in specialty care, so oncology, transplantation, hematology was my background. And yeah, I've been uh, working here in Asia for a number of years. I spent 10 years up in China, building sales and marketing teams and launching uh, products to better the lives of patients. Well, great, great. Coming from companies like Novartis, Sanofi, and Barger, what motivated you to join Avalon? What do you think is the most compelling thing about the company's mission and vision that really enticed you to join? Yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting journey with Aslan. We're now an uh, immunology, dermatology-focused company. But winding back five years, um, that really wasn't the reason I joined. I actually joined because they had an oncology portfolio at the time. And as I said, my background was largely in oncology and hematology. I got to know the guys that ran Aslan. It's a small community here in Singapore. So, you know, we're quite well networked. And uh, I got to know the company and uh, the management team well over a number of years. And then uh, they asked me to join. And at the time, they were developing innovative cancer medicines Primarily targeting Asian prevalent tumor types, so gastric cancer, hepatobiliary carcinoma. And this really got me interested. And that's one of the reasons why I, I joined them. And I was also sort of keen to roll up my sleeves and try a bit of biotech. And when you're working in a big pharma, you tend to get a little bit boxed into one area. And um, I was really keen to try some different areas. And that's the beauty about working in biotech. You get pulled from commercial to investor relations to discussions on CMC to discussions on regulatory. So it's really quite a wide span and great opportunity to learn different areas in the industry. So that was the real reason to come and join Aslan. And they had great products in oncology and we ran a number of trials in different areas. Unfortunately, that portfolio did either get licensed back by some companies or the drug didn't meet primary endpoints. So we had to shelf a number of those products and move on with the portfolio. And that's where we sort of reinvented ourselves and we're now very much an immunology play today. I see that. How do you think that Aslan leverages this focus on immunology to really transform patients' lives 
And what's the company's strategy for expanding into new markets and reaching more patients globally? So we focus on um, immunology, uh, dermatology, and in particular, um, atopic dermatitis with our lead asset, Eblisacumab. Dupilumab has done a phenomenal job in changing the lives of patients. A great product, multiple indications, and really has been a game changer for not just physicians, but ultimately patients. But there's always opportunity to improve on what's on the market, and that's the way we look at it. Although the efficacy is great, is there an opportunity to improve on what Dupilumab does? So we certainly shoot for that. Dupilumab does come with some safety issues, such as conjunctivitis. So can we bring better products that uh, address some of those safety issues? And ultimately, convenience as well. So we've spent a lot of time thinking about what patients want. Would a monthly injection, for instance, right from the start, be more convenient than a two-weekly injection? And that's something we've spent a bit of time trying to figure out as well. So I still think there's opportunities to improve the lives and convenience of patients. And certainly that's one of the areas that we focus on today. No, I think it's great. You know, the biologics have really come on strong and atopic dermin and psoriasis and other patients really benefited from it. But like you said, all of those needs some fine tuning because of unexpected side effects from it. So, you know, I think it's great. I, you know, I looked at your technology and I think you got a real possibility to increase the efficacy and reduce the side effects that we see with some of the others. I think also the fact atopic dermatitis is, uh, you know, total, it's estimated about, I think about $23 billion. And really there's one product on the market at the moment. There's the jack inhibitors, which have some of the safety concerns, still efficacy very good, but I still think there's definitely some safety issues that some doctors are concerned about, but really only one play in the biologic space that may change with a couple more products currently in development or going through the regulatory path. But if you compare that to psoriasis, where you have uh, 15 biologics in the space that have been developed over a number of years, I still think we're very much at the start of, sort of biologic entry into atopic dermatitis. And there's a long way to go. So we certainly feel that, I mean, the ticket entry for this is you've got to be as good as Dupi or better. And we think that we can certainly come in as good, if not better than Dupi, but with some added advantages, such as speed of onset, controlling itch quickly, for instance. Yeah. I've worked in this field for a while and I've worked on a biologic for a topic. The challenge is getting into that pediatric population where it's a real problem. Biologics are just not there yet. And if you can come up with something that's got a better safety profile, the acceptability would be a lot higher. So that's great. And we certainly have plans to enroll, hopefully, you know, in our next program, adolescents, and then ultimately, you know, pediatric patients as well, because as you said, the need there is very high. So we certainly have plans to do that in the future. Definitely a huge unmet need. But what do you think as of the main challenges are in developing innovative treatments? You know, how does the company address these challenges while trying to still balance the need for scientific rigor and innovation with the financial pressures of today's pharmaceutical industry? It's a challenge. I mean, costs are certainly going up year on year. I mean, I was reading a report from Deloitte that was suggesting that costs of developing innovative medicines have gone up 15% this year compared to last year. So the costs continue to rise. And as we know, the estimates are anywhere between 300 million, perhaps for a small biotech, up to about 2.3 billion for big pharma to bring a drug to market. So I think that's the challenge. And uh, we have to find ways of reducing costs and bringing drugs to market quicker and smarter. So that's certainly been a challenge for us is to balance costs. But of course, you can't do that at the expense of scientific rigor or safety. We've partnered with some great CROs in the past, and we will continue to do so, that can really bring value to our clinical development program. 
we've developed programs that are rigorous. Um, our, our current study, which uh, reads out shortly, our phase 2B, which will read out in early July, is a placebo-controlled five-arm study where we're testing two different doses of drug and two different ways of administering the drug, either Q2 weekly or Q4 weekly. So I think you have to be innovative in terms of your approach. I think the challenges, though, are patients. People are, I think, that has been the challenge over COVID to get those potential patients back into hospital. Doctors, staffing issues at certain sites has not helped with recruitment. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges. And also with CROs and themselves, you know, they've had a, a fairly high turnover, especially the big ones in the past few years. So I think resource and staffing turnover has been a challenge to get those patients onto studies. But we certainly uh, try to address those challenges and we've always tried to address with rigorous scientific studies. You're absolutely right. I think picking the right partner that can provide you a, you know, a creative strategy, like you say, your five-arm study, get more bang for your buck out of a single trial. And particularly as we move forward, the new innovation that's coming more and more on clinical trials, which is a focus for bile, of course, uh, sort of leads me into my next question. How do you see the role of technology and particularly AI playing in shaping the pharmaceutical industry in the future, particularly in immunology? It's certainly a very interesting new concept, if you like. And again, you know, reading some articles, I mean, some people quote that this in the last five years, especially VCs that are looking to fund some of these companies, it's gone from zero to 105 years, you know, where we had nothing. And this wasn't really talked about in terms of our industry to really now in sort of frontline head news. I certainly think that it's going to become, I hope anyway, you know, standard of care, if you like, certainly at the beginning of the process where you're trying to screen drugs and do that more quickly and more efficiently. So perhaps before you, you get into the clinic and, and jumping some of those steps where a lot of products do fall over in the early stages, I think that's probably where this innovation will come first. Ultimately, you know, big pharma, especially are looking at ways of reducing costs and making things more efficient. And as we talked about, you know, with the cost estimates of, I saw costs as high as 2.8 billion in the top 20 pharma companies to bring a drug to market, which is phenomenal when you think about what you then have to do post-launch to recoup those costs, plus the drugs that have failed, is you can't have that many drugs fail. So really in order to be more efficient, I think AI is going to ultimately make a dent in that sort of early discovery stage in drug development process. Yeah, absolutely. That's where I've seen the biggest impact so far. I mean, just we used to do it years ago on a much lower scale, but now I think it really lets you screen through a lot of potential candidates if you've got your target identified. And, you know, really reduce what you're doing on the discovery side of things and narrow the funnel down a little bit when you get into the preclinical work. No, absolutely. So we certainly see that if you just look at the space that VCs would ultimately uh, focus very much on clinical stage companies and, you know, that they were putting this money in there. But there's certainly a lot of money going into this um, AI med tech like space. And, and you look at, you know, the changes that pharma is making as well. I mean, they're bringing a lot of data scientists on board now as well to really work with them and understand this. I mean, it hasn't been our sort of bread and butter understanding, I guess, in pharmaceuticals AI. So we have to sort of draw on the expertise from the outside world. So you see that in terms of recruitment that these guys are, are certainly being um, employed by big pharma. So I think there's a change at foot, which um, ultimately I think is going to be great for efficiency and ultimately be, be great for patients being able to bring products to market quicker. Yeah, I, I think your uh, description of recruiting from outside your field perfectly describes Vile. We have a, a large number of very smart people that develop in other industries. They're bringing their expertise to us and really 
helping us move things forward. So that's really exciting. You mentioned before that when you first attracted Athlon, you were working on the oncology field, and now you switched over to more Durham. How does Aslan approach the development of treatments? You're selecting a new therapeutic area. What are we going to go after from the inception, the concept of what you want to go after through your clinical trials and then through regulatory approval? The short answer to that is we've had to rebuild the team. I mean, we've had to rebuild and bring in some of the best, smartest, brightest folks in the Durham field. And uh, we've been able to attract really top talent, especially in the medical field from companies and our folks have backgrounds from Leo, which of course is a big darn play, especially in Europe. Folks from Lilly as well, Demira, acquired by Lilly, Sanofi as well. So we did feel when we started to move quickly into this uh, Durham-focused area that we were lacking some medical expertise and folks that had good relationship with some of the top key opinion leaders around the world. So that was certainly um, a big focus for us that as this asset really came up from behind, if you like, from the oncology assets and became our number one focus, we certainly had to rebuild the team. We also had to build out the team in the US. The market initially focused for us was oncology. And as I said, it was Asian prevalent tumor type. So it made sense to be in Singapore. Now, though, we have an office in San Mateo, California. 70% of DP sales in AD today are, are generated from the US. This is very much, uh, for want of a better word, you know, consumer sort of type market as well. You know, a lot of TV advertising. So really our focus and our footprint had to be in the U.S. as well. So that was certainly a shift for us away from Asia and really focus in building the team in the U.S. to address the U.S. market. And we've been successful in doing that. I think partnering is, as we talked about earlier, with the right partner, right CRO was really critical for us as well. We were able to complete our Trek AD study, 300 patients in 12 months, which uh, really is phenomenal when you consider the competition in that space at the moment. There's a lot of companies going after moderate to near atopic dermatitis patients. And we were able to do that, I think, with the talent we had, with the networks we were able to create going beyond the US. 50% of our patients, I think, from Trek AD came from the US. But we had to look at other markets. Europe, we recruited from India as well, Canada, Australia, and also here in Asia. So that's been great for us, a real success. And that's really been driven by the folks that we were able to bring on board to do that and the CRO that we've partnered with. No, that's great. It really sounds like you brought on the right people. Actually, it sort of drowns out the question I had for you afterwards. But when you're looking to bring people on, you know, what kind of qualities do you think are essential for success in the industry? Once you bring those in, how do you cultivate that into people that are already there in your IT? For us, as I said, a small biotech company, 40 folks, 20 here in Singapore and 20 odd in the US, running two phase two programs with 40 folks is certainly a challenge and not a lot of handholding in, in small biotech. So we had to get folks with great experience, both from the biotech field, but also from big pharma that had run these type of studies or larger studies, phase three programs, for instance, but in the Durham space. It was great to be able to build that team. And I really think we've got a, a great team that would rival any biotech team now anywhere in the Durham space. So that was certainly the thing that we've done and we've done that successfully. And I, and I think it's difficult. There's not a lot of handholding that you can do. People really hit the ground running at Aslan. And, you know, we've been able to do that and people really have to be agile, quick decision makers. We give people a lot of autonomy to make decisions themselves. We, we put a lot of trust from the management team 
in those folks that we brought on board, people have very clear defined goals and objectives. And we certainly try to achieve them and, and check in with folks to make sure they're on track in delivering those goals. And that's been, you know, certainly our um, philosophy moving forward is really to give those folks stretch goals, stretch challenges, and people really live up to the challenge at Aslan. So they're the type of folks that we want. And, and really, that's the success of the program today is those people. Yeah, it sounds like you put together a great team. You need those people that really are willing to roll up their sleeves and dig in or wear a different hat on a different day, depending on what the demands are. When I you know, joined Aslan, the last thing I had was uh, thinking that I was going to be going out with uh, our CEO and our chief scientific officer at the time and IPOing the company in the US. I mean, you don't get that sort of opportunity at Big Pharma to, as you said, roll up your sleeves and, and let's do an IPO roadshow in the US. So I think it was within the first month or two, I was asked to go along and talk about my background was very much commercial at the time. So commercial you know, implications of the oncology portfolio that we had at the time. You know, big opportunities, uh, a little scary at times when you're given those opportunities. But as I said, I think the folks that we bring on and I hope myself, you know, really live up to those challenges. And um, I've loved the last five years and certainly hope to be loving it for the next five plus years of moving on as well. Yeah, no, it certainly sounds great. You know, I think, as you mentioned before, enrolling a study that quick and doing that pivot and moving and quickly getting it to the new field and, and having success in it so far, at least with products that you're out there and what you're seeing and, and the data from your clinical trials. Looking ahead, what are some of Aslan's more exciting initiatives and projects? And how do you see the company growing and evolving in the coming years, moving on from the products you've got? I mean, getting those products approved and moving on from that. We're at a very exciting time for Aslan. We finished enrolling patients in our phase 2B biologic naive program. That's called Trek AD. And that was the 300 patient study that we talked about earlier that had recruited over 12 months, the five-arm study. Top-line data from that program will read out in July this year. So we're very much looking forward to the data from that program, which will certainly guide us as to what's next for eblisacumab in that patient population. We also have another program in dupilumab-experienced patients. So there's a lot of patients that, as great a drug as dupilumab is, for a number of reasons, patients do fall off treatment, could be health insurance reasons, perhaps safety. Some patients just don't achieve the optimal response that they were hoping for. So physicians and patients are always looking for alternatives. So we feel that there's a, a population out there, and we call it the dupilumab experience group, that need alternative therapies. And we have a study enrolling now, which is due to read out quarter one in 2024. And then we have another asset as well, Ferudostat, which is a DHODH inhibitor which we've moved into the clinic in alopecia areata. We enrolled the first patient on that study just last week. So that study and that program is now up and running, uh, phase 2A study. You get data very quickly on those patients. The hair grows back or it doesn't. So we will probably get to hear of um, some anecdotal cases as those patients enroll onto that program. But the top line data is due to read out again in quarter one, 2024. So we've got a lot of milestones a lot of real exciting data coming up middle of this year, as I said, in July and very early next year. And we've continued to, you know, pump out a lot of papers. You know, we get a lot of great data from our studies. We're doing a lot of work looking at translational programs, biologic markers, trying to figure out, do you treat all AD patients or is there perhaps a subset of AD patients that you might want to go after? So we've got a great translational scientist on board, Ferda. 
and uh, she's leading that program. And uh, we just had four papers, four posters at ICID, the Japanese Congress, earlier this month as well. So I think there's a lot of exciting things for Aslan over the coming um, six, 12 months. And uh, we're certainly looking forward to that. And that keeps us on our toes and keeps us busy. Definitely sounds exciting. Yes, I looked at the press releases and the papers and the volume of things coming out, particularly for alopecia. That's definitely a hot topic here in the the AD realm, which is an unmet need. I think you've got a lot of bright things on the horizon for Aslan. I really appreciate you taking your time to speak with us today. Any last parting comments? It's been great to talk today, Todd. And as I said, I think there's a lot of exciting things happening in the space. Five years ago, if you had asked me, did I think I'd be working in dermatology? I would have probably said, hell no, you know, the oncology and hematology was my field. But lo and behold, what I didn't know was that immunology and dermatology was going through this real change. And I didn't know about the biologics or the JAK inhibitors that were, you know, really making an impact on patients' lives. So very excited to be working in this field. And the science is, is great. And been able to really change that paradigm for physicians and ultimately patients. It's exciting to be working here and, you know, exciting to be spending the time in this field moving forward. Well, great. Look forward to uh, seeing what's next for Aslan and for you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Todd. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, and Google 